0: described by truth. Shabbat That is... Y'all going to have to forgive my voice this morning. It's gone. So as you meet and greet one another, stand, find somebody you haven't talked to. The praise team's going to come up and help me out here, okay? Mm-hmm. all throughout my history your faithfulness has walked beside me the winter storms made way for spring in every season from when Bye. God, we are grateful for your faithfulness. There is none like you. May Jesus be magnified here in this place today. We ask it in the name of Jesus. And the people said together, amen. Amen. You may be seated.
1: see everybody got their clocks uh, moved ahead was anybody here for worship an hour early (laughs) we have an atomic clock down here on the front pew and I was hoping sometimes it doesn't adjust itself sometimes we have to come in and manually make it go to the right time and I was hoping that this was going to be one of this mornings because I was going to say man Warren you have given me a lot of time this morning So, but for for, you'll be thankful, it did reset itself uh, on its own. Or Warren reset it when he got here this morning. (laughs) And uh, before I begin this morning, uh, let me just uh, say thank you um, for all of the kind words. All of the kind uh, acts of service that you have done for me and my family, and uh, especially for uh, all of the prayers. Uh, We have truly felt uh, God's presence uh, during this time of our life, which we never expected to be going through and would never wish on anybody else to have to go through. Um, but uh, um, if you ever wonder why you're a part of the, of, the, of the body of Christ if you ever wonder why you're a part of a church body and why it's important to come to church and to be a part of the, of the body of Christ it's when tragedy strikes that it becomes the most evident And uh, you have truly been uh, the body of Christ to Renee and I and to Ethan and Maggie and to Cora and Adelaide. And so thank you. Thank you so much. We are in a series called Mandates. And the scripture that this series is based on is out of the Great Commission, out of Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20 therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and then here is the verse that we're focusing on there in verse 20 and teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you and surely i am with you always to the very end of the age There are a lot of commandments that Christ has given to us that he wants us to follow, that he wants us to apply to our lives. And one of those commandments is found in John 14, verse 27. And Jesus says to his disciples, Peace I leave with you, my peace. I give you I do not give to you as the world gives do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid so there is the mandate at the end of that verse do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid As the popular saying goes sometimes that's easier said than done because there are times when we go through things in our lives where our hearts are troubled where we don't understand why certain things have taken place and there are times when we are afraid we can't see the next step we can't see the future we don't know what might be happening next and sometimes we are fearful sometimes we are afraid but Jesus is instructing us here not to let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid as i was looking at that verse one thing as when i get the opportunity to preach and, and for for other preachers one thing you don't want to do is to take a verse and to try and fit a square peg into a round hole, if that makes sense. You don't want to try and force a meaning upon a verse that, that isn't there, or you to, for a verse to say something that it's, that it's not really saying. And that's something I've struggled with as, as, I've, as I've prepared uh, this sermon, and I hope I haven't done that. But this verse when you take it by itself you know it you know my peace Jesus is telling the disciples he's leaving them his peace not peace from the world but peace from him and he doesn't want their hearts to be troubled and he doesn't want them to be afraid well why would they be troubled why would they be afraid well when you put that verse in its context when you look at the whole of chapter 14 You can get an idea. Jesus begins the chapter by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he goes into telling the disciples once again that, hey, guys, I'm about to leave you. I'm about to go to my Father. I'm about to go back to heaven, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And don't worry, because I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. But I can guarantee you all the disciples are hearing at this point is that Jesus is about to leave them. And so he continues on and he says, Guys, yes, I'm about to leave you, but God is going to send you another advocate. God is going to send you another comforter. Even though I'm leaving you, God is going to send you someone else, and that someone else is the Holy Spirit. God is going to send you the Holy Spirit to be your comforter, to be your advocate. He's going to take my place. The disciples haven't had much experience yet with the Holy Spirit. So they're probably going, who is this Holy Spirit? What is he talking about? all they are focused on is hey you're about to leave us yeah you're telling us that you're coming back but I can guarantee you they are focused on Jesus is about to leave us and so that's why their hearts would be troubled that's why they would be fearful but Jesus knows that the holy spirit's work in our lives is deep and lasting peace that the holy spirit is going to give them the peace that they need to know that they need to have he's going to teach them the things that they need to know he's going to bring back to their memory all of the things that jesus has taught them and done with them during this 3 years Unlike worldly peace, which is usually defined by the absence of conflict, this peace is confident and it's assured in any circumstance. It doesn't matter what the circumstance may be. The peace of the Holy Spirit, we can have confidence in it and we can have assurance in it. Of all mornings to get dry mouth. With Christ's peace... We have no need to fear the present or the future. So as I was looking at this verse, it's interesting how God puts pieces of the puzzle together or how he brings things to fruition in your life. Some good and on the surface some not so good. But as I was looking at this verse, as I was looking at this circumstance, and as I was also reflecting on uh, a Bible study known as Experiencing God, I believe that God revealed to me that God said to me, Jesus was preparing the disciples for a crisis of belief. Jesus was preparing the disciples. For a crisis of belief. Because Jesus knew what was about to happen. Jesus knew what the disciples were about to witness. They were about to witness one of their own betraying Jesus. They were about to witness Jesus going on trial. They were about to witness Jesus being beaten within an inch of his life. And what they didn't beat out of him, he gave up on the cross. They were about to witness his crucifixion and his burial. And they were going to be standing there alone. And they were going to be at a crossroads. They were going to be faced with a crisis of belief. They were going to have to make the decision, do we continue to follow this guy or do we cut and run? Have the last three years of our life been for nothing? Jesus knew exactly what the disciples were about to have to deal with. And each of us come to points in our lives where we have a crisis of belief. Where we come to a crossroads, where we come to a fork in the road, and we have to make a decision of which way we're going to go. And that's called a crisis of belief. Well, what is a crisis of belief? A crisis of belief is an encounter with God that requires a decision about what you truly believe about God. A crisis of belief is an encounter with God that requires, and I want you to hear that word, requires... A decision you have to choose requires a decision about what you truly believe about God that's what a crisis of belief is and that's what the disciples were about to face that's what we as believers face maybe not on a daily basis but there comes a time in your life where you're going to face a crisis of a belief you could lose a job you could get a medical diagnosis that you weren't expecting you could deal with a chronic illness might lose a loved one very unexpectedly but it brings us to a point to where we have to make a decision of what it is we truly believe about the God that we follow I believe that there are two types of encounters that bring us to this point that bring us to this decision one is God invites us to be a part of something bigger than us God invites us to join him in his work now this is what the Bible study experiencing God is based upon it's based upon the life of Moses and when God calls Moses to lead his children out of the nation of Egypt. And so Moses has to, he has to make a decision of whether or not he's going to join God in that work that he's been invited to be a part of. That's one crisis of belief. Oh, thank you. Thank you, (laughs) Nisi. I will take it. So one crisis of belief is when God invites you to be a part of his work, invites you to be a part of something that is much bigger than you are. The second, the second crisis of belief is when life goes sideways. And we are brought to a point in our lives where we don't understand why life has gone sideways. We don't understand what has happened and why it has happened and where it's going to go from there. That also brings us to a crisis of belief. There are four things that I would like for you to know about a crisis of belief. There are four things that that take place when you are faced with a crisis of belief. One of those is an encounter with God requires faith. When we encounter God in such a way that he brings us to a crisis of belief, it requires faith. Because just as we see in the book of Exodus, God doesn't lay the whole plan out for Moses he just basically says hey I want you to go and to deliver my children from Pharaoh's hand I want you to go and lead my children out of Egypt he doesn't lay everything out he doesn't give Moses a complete blueprint of how this is going to happen That's how it is for us. God doesn't lay it out, you know, because a lot of times if God was to lay everything out for us, we would go screaming into the night. He only, you know, kind of that, uh, that need to know thing, you know, uh, uh, when you deal in certain circles, you know, there's only that need to know. God only gives us what we need to know at that moment. And then it's up to us of whether or not we're going to follow him in faith. And so just like with Moses, he doesn't lay the whole plan out. He just tells Moses, hey, here's the broad brushstroke. Here's what I want you to do. And Moses argues and argues and argues and argues with him until God finally says, okay, look, hey, We'll include your brother Aaron. If that'll make you feel better, you know, you're not going to get all the glory yourself. You know, we'll bring Aaron in and Aaron will help you out. But we have to step out on faith. We don't see everything right up front. Hebrews 11.1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we live by faith and not by sight. If it was just the reverse, if we lived by sight and not by faith, we wouldn't go a whole lot of places. There'd be a whole lot of things that we wouldn't do. But we live by faith and not by sight because our faith our faith cannot be in what we see our faith cannot be in what we know or what we understand our faith must always be in God and God alone and trusting him to be faithful as he always is trusting in the character of who God is who he has proven himself over and over to be. One of my favorite movies is uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And if you remember when he is standing on the edge of that chasm, trying to figure out how he's supposed to make his way over to the Holy Grail, he finally takes that step of faith. And the bridge appears. And he makes his way over. But ye of little faith. What does he do when he gets to the other side? He picks up that gravel and he throws it out across the bridge. Just in case the bridge might disappear on him when it's time to go back. God is always there. Whether we can see the bridge or not, we can take that step of faith. Secondly, a crisis of belief encounter with God will be God-sized. It will be bigger than who we are. You know, there there is a popular saying that God will never give you more than you can handle. If you use that phrase on a regular basis, do me a favor and stop. Because it's not true. It's not true. If God never gives us anything more than we can handle, then why do we need God? There will be things in our lives that we cannot handle on our own. There will be things in our lives that we don't understand and we may never understand on this side of heaven. Crisis of belief are God-sized. They are bigger than we are. And it's only by the grace of God, it is only by our faith in God that we make it through those god sized encounters. We see throughout all of Scripture in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, God inviting men and women to be a part of something that is bigger than themselves. I've already mentioned Moses. How about Joshua? Do you think he was going to bring those walls down all by himself? Just by marching around and singing? What about the disciples? What about the disciples? In the beginning of the New Testament church, that was not something they did on their own. There are things that come into our lives that we survive only, only. When we walk with God, when we allow God to use those things in our lives, when we're obedient and we follow him and we know that this is something I can't do on my own. Encounters with God that bring us to a crisis of belief will always be God-sized. Thirdly, and this is probably, this is probably my favorite. When we encounter God and we come to a crisis of belief, he will always reveal himself to us. He will not stay hiding in the shadows. He will not forsake us. He will always reveal himself to us. Scripture tells us over and over again that if we seek him, we will find him. When we seek him, we will find him. When we encounter God and he reveals himself to us, We come to know him in fresh and new ways. Now, these aren't new things about God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has always been this way, but we're discovering him in a new way. He now means something new to us. It's not like he's taking on new characteristics or anything. No, he's always been that way. But he's revealing himself to us that we can understand him better. And we can understand maybe the situation a little better. Mistreated by Sarah because she now has a child. Sarah is still childless, Sarah is jealous. This is no fault of Hagar's. This was Abraham and Sarah's idea. But she now has a child and she is being mistreated. And she is cast out. And God reveals himself to us and says, Hagar, I am the God who sees you. Actually, the way that that it's said in Scripture is Hagar realizes he is the God who sees me. El Roy. she knows she's not alone. Abraham when he's about to put Isaac on the altar, God reveals himself to Abraham. Abraham has trusted all this way that God will provide and God does. And God and God's name at that moment is Jehovah Jireh. God will provide and then Moses when he's arguing with God standing there at the burning bush if that would not have been enough to stand in front of a bush that is on fire but is not being consumed Moses in the midst of his argument says who should I tell these people sent me who should I tell them who are you and god says i am tell them that i am sent you that is one of my favorite that is one of my favorite verses i am the god of abraham of isaac and of jacob i am your god i am their god I am the God of gods. I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I am. And one of the reasons I like this so much is I like to say, you can say, I am, put a blank after it, and fill in the blank. I am your comforter. I am your restorer. I am your healer. I am your salvation. When you encounter God and he reveals himself to you, that I am statement takes on new meaning for you. What has God been to you in that moment, in that situation? God reveals himself to us. He doesn't leave us as orphans. He doesn't leave us wandering in the dark, but he reveals himself to us so that we might come to a new and fresh understanding of who he is. I hope that you have experienced God in ways that you have a name For who he is that he has proven himself to you that he has revealed himself to you in such a way that you now can say god is this to me if you want to know more about the 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 names of god are are incredible and we see them throughout scripture Tony Evans has written a book entitled "Praying Through the Names of God." And this book includes the various names of God that we find in Scripture. And if the names of God are something that interests you, uh, I would encourage you to, uh, to read that, that book. But finally, but finally, encounters with God require action. They require action. If God invites you to be a part of something that is bigger than you, or if God invites you to be a part of something that is very simple, the action must be obedience. We must be willing to step out on that faith. We must be willing to follow God wherever it is He is leading us. Whatever He is inviting you to be a part of, obedience is required. Sure, Moses argued with God, but he came to the point of obedience. His brother Aaron was brought into the situation and he was obedient joshua led the people out can you imagine standing in front of all of these people and saying okay here's what god has told us to do for the next seven days we're gonna cross the river here and we're gonna go and we're gonna walk around that big city and we're gonna sing and we're gonna shout I'm sure Joshua was a little like, God, you're, seriously, that's what you want me to go and tell these people you want them to do? You know, it's middle of summer, right? But Joshua was obedient. As crazy as it sounded, they were obedient. And the walls of Jericho came down. Last week, Raymond talked about peter and peter getting out of the boat do you know why peter sank because peter was first of all obedient to get out of the boat peter would have never sank if he'd have never gotten out of the boat but jesus said come and peter was obedient and got out of the boat and went There are things that God invites us to do that we must be obedient. The second action is not always so pleasant. When those things come into our lives that we had just soon had never come into our lives, when tragedy strikes, when we are brought to a crisis of belief because of misfortune or tragedy, whatever the case may be, the second action is to allow God to change you into a different person. To allow God to use that encounter to change you into a different person a person growing in faith a person growing in love a person who is no longer troubled is no longer fearful and these types this type of action can get messy Because we may not understand what it is God is trying to do. We may not know. We may ask why. Why? God, why are you doing this? And let me just share this with you. If anybody tells you that it is wrong to ask God why, ignore them. Because if you know your scripture, while he hung on the cross, our Savior said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt forsaken by God? I have. And it is not wrong to ask him why. Why? And he'll answer. Maybe not right then. You may not see it right then. But we have to have the faith that God is going to work. He's going to work in our lives. He's going to bring us through it. He's going to make us stronger. He's going to use us. He's going to use us in somebody else's life. He's going to use it. But we have to allow him to work in our lives. We have to allow him to change us. It may take some stages, some stages. You go from not understanding why to being angry to You know, whatever, all the stages that you have to go through, but allowing God to work in you and to bring you to a point that even if you don't understand it, the one thing you know is that you can trust in Him. You can trust in Him. King David is one of the probably most popular characters we see in the Old Testament. And King David was known as a man after God's own heart. And basically what that means is David never lost the ability to confess his sin. David never lost the ability to allow God to work in his life. And I know that we can look at Bible characters and we can put them on another level. But before you do that with King David, here is a young boy who was anointed as king, had no idea it was going to take the number of years that it took before he ever took the throne so here's a young boy that has been anointed as king when there's another king still on the throne and then he has the opportunity to face Goliath and he's obedient he does what God has called him to do and he goes out and he faces Goliath and he takes Goliath down. Victory, he's on cloud nine. Things are going well. Little did he know that in the days ahead, he would be running for his life. He would be living in the wilderness. He'd be living in caves. He would even be living with the enemy because the current king wanted him dead. He probably wasn't on cloud nine during all of that running. But then he finally gets to take the throne. He finally gets to take the throne. But even that was messy. And so he takes the throne and things are going great. And then he makes a decision that he should have never made. He chose to stay home when he should have gone with his army. And he sees Bathsheba and he commits adultery. And that adultery leads to murder. And then that murder leads to the loss of his son. And then his own son betrays him, runs him out of town, throws up a coup, and David has to flee again for his life. And he loses another son because of that. David could have been bitter. David could have turned his back on God. But he didn't. He continued to be a man after God's own heart. He continued to allow God to work in his life. He continued to confess his sins before God and to allow God to use him. If you've never spent much time in the Psalms, let me encourage you, to do so. Because David gets to the end of his life. David gets to the end of his life and he looks back, he reflects back upon what that life has been like. And he reflects upon the faithfulness and the goodness of God. he writes these words. If you would, close your eyes, reflect back over your life, reflect back over the encounters that you've had with God, and reflect upon the goodness and the faithfulness of God, and listen to these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen and amen. May we go forth from this place and may our hearts not be troubled, and may we not be afraid.
0: Deacons, if you would step to the back in the back areas and one over at the cross and you've got a decision you'd like to make this morning God's been speaking to your heart let's not hesitate to to do that today let's all stand together I can drown alone here in my doubt, drawn to wander from my side, getting tired of tired eyes. God, I'm coming here for you, for you, because the grace of Jesus is on the grace of Jesus. have a great